Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Susan Kalman, and welcome back to Susan Kalman's Mrs. Brightside. Thanks for downloading the show. Yeah, I've done some very good stand-up shows where I could still have one foot on the stage as I walked into the wings and the crash had begun. Like, I swear to you, like, at that point, it was so visceral, the absolute plummet from this state of, I'm fine, everything's great, into dreadful, dreadful, dreadful despair. Last year, I spoke to eight people about their tricksy mental health, and this year, I'll be chatting to eight more. I was in a really bad way, and we didn't even know each other all that well. No, not really. But you just went, you, lunch, now. Mm -hmm. And I know that you were okay at that time, or you were so not okay, you needed someone else, (laughs) but it doesn't matter. I'm doing this because I want people to be more open about their mental health, and I know sometimes it can be difficult to define what that means. So we're going to be having a frank and open discussion, no parameters, no written questions, no definitions, and no pop psychology. It's important for you to know that these are not therapy sessions. I am not a qualified psychiatrist, no matter how much casualty I've watched. They're just honest conversations about what we think and feel about our own heads. Uh, I'm meeting Marcus Brigstock for this episode. Now, I know Marcus well. He's held me up many times at the Fringe when I've been falling over. And indeed, I've done the same thing for him. But but having the opportunity to have a really good chat with him was, was brilliant. A little bit of ambient noise, but that's what you get when you're at the biggest arts festival in the world. He's an absolutely smashing fella, he really is. And it's a very honest discussion about a lot of the issues that have affected him and, and me. So I hope you enjoy it. into context because I think it's very important that we do yes. uh, we're at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival Yes. we are in a brightly lit uh, porter cabin reminiscent of a torture complex that's true but with two absolutely beautiful plastic orchids I love them they're so they're pretty they're so ornate one in white and another in a sort of quite rich purple <laughs> <laughs> and an iron. And an also purple iron. Someone has thought to coordinate the orchid <laughs> with the iron. So any ambient noise that you hear, because they're about to record a comedy show, yes. um, if we're talking about something sensitive, yes. and suddenly there's a round of applause, <laughs> it's not because we <laughs> or have a, a live laugh. audience. I'd like to make it clear that any laughs you can hear have not been generated by either Susan no, or myself. No, it may not surprise you to know that, but none they of them. They are incidental to what we're doing here. Uh, you're at the fringe just now. Yes. You're it's a play you've got here yes, this year. Yes, I've, I've written a play that I actually wrote for Radio 4 uh, a little while ago and it was broadcast on the radio and won the BBC Audio Drama Award. Very nice. pleased with myself. Mm-hmm. And I kind of always wanted to put it on stage and thanks to the um, generous people at Experian, um, <laughs> my data self and I can, can now afford to. The Fringe itself, though... And it's quite difficult to explain to people as a comedian what it's like. It's the best of times and the worst of times. Now, I'm only here 
2019 for four days. This is one of you, them. You coward. Thank you. have you. changed. I have to. <laughs> because I have had some of the most spectacularly, and you've been there for some of them, awful times of my entire life here. I've had some of the greatest times of my life. But it is an environment where, and I think as I get older, I'm able to identify places where my mental health doesn't flourish. And sure. this is one of them. But isn't it interesting how that seesaws and fluctuates? I mean, I know I said it at the time, but I'll say it again. You saw me in a state of deep crisis and took me out for lunch. Yeah. I was in a really bad way. And we didn't even know each other all not that really. well. No, not really. But you just went, you, lunch, now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know that you were okay at that time, or you were so not okay you needed someone else, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. But it was a game changer. It really was. It made such a difference to me. And it's really interesting how... Our family of comedians, some of whom snipe at each other and compete and all the rest of it, actually take good care of each other. I saw someone very early this morning, because I was up doing an interview, who's having a great festival. She's a brilliant comedian. She's absolutely smashing it, and she's really, really struggling. And I'm grateful to say I'm in a really good place at the moment. And I just said to her, look, here's a thing I do, right? I write a 10 item gratitude list every morning so I actively engage with gratitude right not just like oh it's a nice day and I'm glad of that or my kids are sweet people I love them aren't I lucky I mean I write down and my rule with my list of 10 things I'm grateful for is that at least three of them as I write them have to make me smile or I'm cheating and uh, I recommend that in fact I've found other comedians quietly doing the same thing and it's really really good because otherwise you can get all in your head about what you're doing and imagine that you're really important which is a lie or that you're a terrible failure which is a lie and actually if I I mean on my gratitude list every day while I'm up here are like I'm grateful for any one person who chooses to come see my show because there are thousands to choose from. And that that's an amazing thing to happen at this festival. So I really engage with that. And it stops me feeling either that I owe those people some burden uh, uh, that I can't ever repay, or that I'm in any way uh, their, their fool, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it is like all the comedy I've loved the most has involved a huge amount of vulnerability. Um, I've always believed that the best stand-up is high status and low status happening at once. Someone standing there going, I've got a microphone and you will listen to me while I say these things and I'm confident that, that all of this will make you laugh, the whole lot of it. And at the same time, that person is the jester and they're at the very bottom of this heap of people uh, with a metric for failure. If you don't laugh, I didn't do my job and I will have failed publicly so there's all this vulnerability there and when I think about you know when I used to listen to Richard Pryor you know there was some supremely confident and yet at the same time physically shaking on stage his vulnerability all the way out there you know and I think I think that's what's really special about about my friends who do comedy I think it's a really golden thing but it is Precarious. I don't want to say like our job is dangerous. There are people whose jobs are a billion times more important than ours and whose jobs are far more dangerous than ours. But there are, well, we've, we've both known people who've really paid the price for doing this. Yeah, they have. And I, I, there's, there's, two, there's two sides to it. 
I, I can indulge my narcissistic tendencies of I can come, imagine, imagine, no wonder my parents were slightly confused. I come from a, a hard-working Scottish family mm. after the war. Don't even drink because if you drank alcohol, you were um, an idiot. Yeah. Because after the war, you needed to work. Imagine saying you're going to give up your job as a lawyer to talk about yourself every night and make people pay £15. Just I mean, to listen. The idea. Yeah. You're right. Give me £15 and I am going to stand and talk to you about my very difficult life <laughs> and then you will leave. I mean, it's a ridiculous thing. Yeah, it's insane. I can fully imagine your parents yeah. going, what, you'll, you'll tell them about, about how to practice law? <laughs> No, I'll sing them theme tunes for my cat. That doesn't make any sense, Susan. It, as, yeah. a, as a lawyer? Yes. I don't understand. <laughs> and it's, in, it's, in a courtroom? It is a remarkable... But I think, I mean, it's one of the things I've always thought about depression and anxiety is there is a narcissistic part to it of depression. I worry about... Uh, I won't, this won't happen, but let's say uh, two weeks from now I'll go, I wonder if I upset Marcus. Marcus may have forgotten about me by that point, but I, as a depressive, think you all you're doing for two weeks is thinking about me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And stand-up oddly fills that slightly... It makes you paranoid, but it also fills the yeah. hole that's left. Well, if nothing else, it gives you an hour where you know what people think of you. Yes, that's true, yes. It's one hour. Yeah. If you're laughing, I know exactly what you think of me. You think I'm good enough and I did my job right. It's what my therapist always Such says, empirical evidence. Yes, absolutely rock solid. And the rest of the world is not like that, which is part of why there is very often a, a crash after a show. And it may be dramatic and it may be mild. It may not happen immediately. It may be over. You know, for me, when I'm out on tour, I have to be very careful with my, um, with my mental health. I really have to take good care of myself. And it's really interesting because, unfortunately, selfish is a word that is too loaded with judgment. I see selfishness far more as a symptom than I do, uh, sorry, both a symptom and a cause than I do an unkind judgment about another person. When I'm um, low, or at least you might say depressed, possibly even anxious, or when I'm not taking good care of myself, I am selfish. I am being selfish and this is part of why I engage actively with gratitude is it turns a lot of what goes in out and makes me inclined to be aware of how others are and to do exactly as you did for me when you saw me having that trouble and go you spot of lunch mm -hmm. now it's amazing how much helping other people will do for my you can give too much away and leave nothing for yourself that's yes. not it that's not genuine giving it's not the same thing at all but selfishness is a symptom and a cause for me of problematic behavior so i watch out for it all the time um i'm really really careful about like when has my behavior been selfish and try not to whip myself about it and go no no, no it's all right it's just a <clears throat> thing you do and there's a way out of it um, I struggle to be kind to myself. I really do. That's mm. the, the the biggest struggle I have is being kind to myself. Yeah, I really do. I, I'm I'm awful. Yeah, I think I'm a terrible, awful person, and blah 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 blah. And my my wife wants two things from me: that I'm kind to myself, and I stop ugh, catastrophizing because mm -hmm. that's one of my big things. Yeah, I yeah. Catastrophize everything. It's always the worst case scenario with me. Yeah. 
Um, and I just said to Has him, it ever come to pass? No, but it, that doesn't matter. My no. therapist even... Genuinely, I went to a new therapist because um, I couldn't find where the other one had gone. It's been a while. It'd been a, <laughs> it'd been a while since I'd been and I thought, I need to go back Oh, my in. God, therapy abandonment. Yes. The worst thing of all. <clears throat> I stopped going to therapy and then... I, this is an absolute true story. I did a television show... Yeah. ...that's so fucked with me yeah and it was not strictly before anyone writes any yeah yeah absolutely it wasn't strictly it wasn't the fact I was shagging everybody it was another television show and it it sounds very strange but the but there was an element of it that that really kind of sent me off and I thought I need to go back to therapy again Mm -hmm. so I went back to a new therapist and it's quite strange when you go back to therapy to a new therapist because you have to start again yeah 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 and she said um the whole thing of what's the worst that could happen? I said, don't do that to me because because yeah. that doesn't matter yeah. to me. So I've got a leak in my roof just now, Marcus. Mm-hmm. Right, and I can't sleep until that's fixed. Yeah, because, because I, I think the roof's going to fall in. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, my house. yeah. Have you listened to the audiobook of The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle? No. Okay, strong recommend. Really strong recommend for lots of reasons. Firstly, it can help specifically with that, and I know it can because I have that and it's helped me. Really? Number two, I would recommend the audio book rather than the, um, you know, paper thing, Kindle thing, because Eckhart Tolle sounds a lot like Henning Venn. <laughs> and this is, this is a good is thing. Is that going to help me? This is a good thing for several reasons. It's amusing how, right. how awful the audio book is, right? <laughs> So he, he has the editors of the, of his, from his publishers asking questions, right? So he'll do, he'll do quite a long section about how you can just stay in this moment, right? <laughs> and then his own editors go, so does this mean that nothing that happens after today is important? No. <laughs> that is not what I'm saying. <laughs> Right, so it, it's kind of like amusing enough in this awful kind of way to work its way in, and I've listened to it on audiobook maybe sort of two and a half times now, and the whole thing about it is is about exactly that stuff, and it's about bringing your attention back into this moment, yes, this exact moment where even at the very worst points in my life, I've still actually been okay. Even when I'm in danger, I've been okay in that moment. And it's amazing the more I can bring myself back to the now. So I, when things have been difficult for me, and like most of my struggles manifest in through the form of addiction, which feels like an anaesthetic, and then, of course, the behaviour creates its own problems, and then you can't even remember why you wanted to do something weird anyway. You just end up acting out because you acted out yesterday. So some of the stuff you can do is try to feel each of your fingers without moving them, just one at a time, and bring all of your attention into doing it. And if you get that, which is very doable, try doing it with your toes, which thus far I've found impossible, but I've got very close. Absolutely extraordinary how much of a relief it brings in the moment that I'm having a sort of like spiralling thoughts or anything like that. It's really, really cool. Great stuff. And then... It's weird. It's like having a, it's like having a kind of mental shower, and then you feel a bit refreshed for a while afterwards, and then of course the yeah. noise comes back because noise is noise. I I do a number of things. I went to hypnotherapy to see if I could fly, because I hate flying. Mm-hmm. 
because I'm going to die. Sure, of course you are. <laughs> I mean, there's no question. Yeah. I'm going to die. And um, I, I thought it wouldn't work. My wife was in the room with me because I've mm. heard stories of um, him, mm-hmm. the therapist. So mm-hmm. she was there to check nothing fancy happened. Um, and I thought, it's not going to happen. And uh, he said, oh, you'll be under in uh, five, four. And I was gone. I was gone straight away. Wow. I have a very su- suggestible mind. It's why I, I have an addictive personality. Yeah. I, I'm never allowed to go to a casino. Do you know why I'm not allowed to go to a casino, Marcus? Go on. I once went to a casino. Um, I, I was doing an Elvis trip. I went to Graceland and to uh, Mississippi to see where he was born. So cool. So I was going with a couple of lesbian friends of mine, you know, round America. Wonderful. We stopped in at a casino. Never been to a casino before, Marcus. There weren't a lot of casinos. Yeah. Right? Was it quite nice, the casino? Almost like they're doing quite well, making a bit of money? Five and a half grand I spent. Yes. Now, this was in 1994. Yeah. Something like that. I have, I mean, I only about five years ago paid off that debt because it spent. God. Because uh, I lost my mind, Marcus. Yeah. Yeah. I put my credit card behind there. I was playing poker. I was playing blackjack. I was games, playing craps. Games you're presumably very familiar with. Never played before. Never played before. But the... the I'm sh- a hater. I'm a- <laughs> they were like, oh, yes, do you want some more of this? Do you want some more of that? And I was like, yeah. my God, I'm James Bond. Yeah. And I realised at that point that I could never gamble again. Yeah. Because I would gamble all the time. Because I loved, I loved that way that it made me... Gambling Feel. is the only one, apart from when I went to Vegas, where I did definitely go on tilt for three days. Yeah. Gambling <laughs> is the only sort of famously addictive thing that I genuinely seem to be okay with. Like, I'll have a bet from time to time. I play poker with my mates, but I've never got fully caught up in it. Vegas, I did go for it in quite a big yeah. way. But um, anything else that you can get addicted to. I've been addicted so to it. So t- tell me, I know you, but, but for the listeners at home, yeah. uh, for the listener at home, um, what? how does your mental health issues, what are they and how do they kind of manifest themselves? So, okay, so going way back, I started a compulsive overeating disorder when I was about eight years old. Uh, unsurprising, lots of reasons. I'd been very poorly when I was young, so the bond between food and approval had been overdone. Right, so as we get breastfed, first manifestation of physical giving, love, uh, and then weaning, there's lots of approval given through that thing. And then as you grow up, there's mummy made this for you, eat it up for daddy, aren't you good? All of these things, lots of approval bound up in that. So for me, having had, they thought celiac disease, couldn't eat anything, special diets and all the rest of it, my brain just got a bit busted around food and approval and food for comfort. So by the time I was about eight years old, I started gaining weight incredibly quickly, like dangerously quickly. And by the time I was 10, uh, I couldn't wear the school uniform. They didn't make them that big, so that, you know, disaster. And then by the time I was 17, I was stealing food everywhere, eating from bins, like I was nuts. And I was a lot shorter than I am now. I was 24 stone and about five foot 10. So big, morbidly obese. In the meantime, I'd also found drugs and alcohol and got stuck into them from about the age of 12. It's very young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very young. Started drinking as much as I could when I was 12, more once I was 14 because I could get it then. And then from 14 to 17, 
went for it. Drugs, again, difficult to get and expensive. So I kind of took what I could, sniffing solvents, stuff like that. And not casually, like some people have a go and then move on. Um, then went into rehab when I was 17. Got sober, got clean from drugs and alcohol, which actually relatively was easy because you stop, right? Food is difficult. You yeah. have to keep eating and you have to find boundaries with that. But yeah, so I've been sober for coming up for 29 years. I've never had a legal drink in my life. Amazing. But of course, along the way, food has been difficult. So there have been periods of time where I've sort of taken my eye off the ball where that's concerned and ended up in trouble with it. And, you know, just found myself eating really in a really unboundaried way and then getting very sad and then overeating because I'm sad because I'm overeating. And, you know, so it does sort of ebb and flow how engaged I am with that. And then there have been other things that that I've sort of ended up uh, addicted to and I, I'd rather not go into any specifics. Mm-hmm. Suffice to say, I avoid all stimulating material online. Mm-hmm. There is, um, I've been very lucky where that's concerned in that I got the right help at the right time before it went to hell. But there are people who I work with in my recovery, young men who do binges on porn that last more than 24 hours without food or drink and people assume wrongly that that's got something to do with masturbation and it really doesn't yeah they just get locked in and there are a lot of them so so many and it's uh, it's a nightmare because that particular drug is free Mm -hmm. and completely unaccountable and it will destroy your life but it won't destroy your life in such a vivid way as, say, a heroin addiction or an eating disorder or alcoholism or whatever. But it's just whatever. as destructive. It's, and it's easily as destructive. And actually, the knock-on destruction from, particularly from porn addiction, which is, as I say, is absolutely rife. Uh, there are very few men I know who I've talked to about this who haven't then revealed to me that over time with internet porn that they haven't at one time or another gone I'm not really okay with this mm-hmm. like, this is this is weird and again there's a mistake about that people make about sexual desire about sexual addiction and about what what porn is and what function it serves there's a really good documentary and book called Your Brain on Porn which is a lot about the evolution of the human brain very simply over thousands and thousands of years we evolved in tribes where if my tribe saw your tribe and you were sexually available, I'm supposed to respond when I see you. The male brain is supposed to have a response and go, there's a sexual mate. And it's been vital to our evolution over thousands of years that we have that. And then really recently we started living in cities and that instinct, which remains wholly intact in the male brain, has remained and it's been difficult And then along came the internet. Now, every single image that you see registers as a potential sexual partner. So you get a small release of dopamine into your brain. And then your dopamine uptake uh, in your brain gets damaged because you overdo it. You overcook it. So then it becomes impossible, like physically impossible for you to feel content when you're not flooding your brain Mm -hmm. with dopamine. And fixing that takes some time. 
So a lot of people don't understand why they're addicted to it, right? And they just end up in this, in this trap, a very shameful trap as well. Awful, 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 particularly amongst the, the younger people that I help with this thing because the poor fuckers have had no life. Yeah. I got lucky, right? It, it became a problem for me, but relatively briefly. And now I'm like, it's, it's totally at arm's length. I don't go anywhere near it. But for them, they were they got free access to their drug of choice at the age of 12. Mm-hmm. And here they are now in their 20s or whatever. They've never they've never been with a with a romantic partner, let alone a, even a sexual partner. They don't know how to be around other people. It's, it's horrific. And there's so much of it. It's in, I don't know a huge amount about that world, but what I do know is it's a similar thing when you're talking about food, Mm. that people make, they make judgments and assumptions. Mm. So food addiction is just being greedy. Yeah, it's yeah, what sure. people will say. Now, for me, food's a very difficult one for me because it's mm. love. Food is love. Yeah, correct. My mother didn't, and bless her, she's amazing, did not believe that a plate should have any space on it. <laughs> the food should yeah. cover every part of yes. the plate. Now, this is partly because they were war babies yeah. and there wasn't food. So when she had children, she gave us food. This yeah. was love. Yes. This was love. Yeah. Because when they were growing up, they didn't have anything. Mm. Suddenly, they could give their children what they never had. So it's yeah. love. It's pure love. Mm-hmm. The problem is that that is then how I live my life. Of course. Cream sauces, giant servings. Yeah, yeah. Um, I am anxious if I do not know when I'm going to eat. Of course, and yeah, it's me not too. Greed. I fear no food. Yeah. Because then it's no love. Yeah, 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 totally. And also finishing that plate of food is you demonstrating that that you have received love and with it comes all the approval and and all the rest of it. And frankly, like, I I don't like it because I, I dislike the judgment that comes with the word. But if somebody understands what we've just said and still calls it greed, I can live with that. It's fine. It's just that greed is more complicated than nom, yes. nom, 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 right? Yes. It, it actually is bound up in a whole bunch of stuff. And yeah. of course, lots of people, most people learn once they get past eat it up, aren't you good and all the rest of it. They learn, well, this is enough. And today I want more than enough because today's a celebration day and, and all the rest of it. And they develop a more healthy relationship both with food and both with giving and receiving love but yeah for me those messages have got really screwed up and it isn't a question of simply understanding that there's a that there's a messy message in there a confused and unhelpful message and then once I've got that in my clever clever brain I can just move on and be okay because the point about that message is is bound up with really deep feelings and so it takes a really long time and it takes for me a great deal of concentration. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, so one of the things you're to, when you mentioned being anxious about not knowing when there will be food, one of the things I find really difficult is if we were sitting having a meal, I eat pretty quickly. I'm a big bloke. If you don't finish your, I literally, I cannot hear you. I cannot hear you. If you've got food on your plate, I'm like that. And for whoever's listening to this, I'm looking down at the table. And I can even, as we talk about this, I can picture a slightly uneaten steak Mm -hmm. on the table in front of you. And at that point, I'm like... Okay, so here's my thing. Uh, I I love going out for dinner, but only Mm. with certain people. Mm -hmm. Choose quickly. Please, for the love of God, choose quickly. Stop chatting. Choose your food, then we'll chat. Yes. Right? If Preferably, look in advance, choose in advance, so you know what you're doing. Get the choosing of the food out the way. Yeah. Very quickly. Yeah. And then I'm... I'm, Not because it's not pleasurable. No. But I become so anxious Mm -hmm. if people are pissing about chatting instead of looking at the menu. And I find it, it's the thing that my wife and I work on most of all is my relationship with food, without mm. question. Mm. I, I eat because I'm happy. I eat because I'm sad. Yeah. A full stomach to me is happiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me lying yeah. on the sofa after having a delicious curry. Yeah, yeah. Happiest on, place in the yeah, world. Yeah, lovely. And not having that is very, very difficult. And what's strange is people, I'm shorter than you, Marcus. Are you? Yes, uh, just about about three foot. Oh. And uh, <laughs> uh, the sad thing is that the sad thing is that if I was six foot tall, I'd be very slim. But I'm not. And after I did strictly, I lost. I don't know how. I've never weighed myself. I don't yeah. weigh myself at all. But I, I know whether my clothes fit me or not. People kept saying to me after strictly, "Oh, you looked so good. You lost such a lot of weight." Now that then just piles on the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Well, if I was thinner, then I would be more successful. Sure. And it's the body and then, image is very dark. And then difficult. quietly. As the weight goes back on, because a very busy, intense physical time is ending, with each pound, I won't speak for you, but for me, just a teeny tiny bit of shame. Yeah. Just a little bit. Because, how do I know? Because when I was very thin, people made a point of going, not, not you look thinner, you look good. Yes. You look good. You look great. In fact, you look great. God, you look well. Doesn't he look well? So I I played P.T. Barnum. Uh... Not last Christmas, the one before. You got a bad review for that, though, didn't you? So bad, yeah. <laughs> Do you know Nadine Dorries? Yeah. So I did I did a 10-metre tightrope walk, eight shows a week in, in that 10-metre tightrope walk every night. And it is so unbelievably difficult. I hardly have to tell you, you've done Strictly, mm-hmm. right? So you know the things you're being asked to do physically, they're so hard. And, like, what it takes for someone like me to get control of my body like that anyway... I could finish Barnum, go home and easily eat half a chicken, right, with with whatever, followed by a pair of crumpets with clotted cream on the top, mm-hmm. right, and then get up in the morning and be a bit thinner than I was yeah. because I was on stage two hours. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. Barnum finishes and I felt like, I felt the fittest I've felt in ages and I had an appetite like you wouldn't believe because I could eat all of that food whilst doing Barnum 
and still be losing weight. And in fact, I needed to eat the food to do the show. But then the appetite was there and all the rest of it. And with the weight that I've gained since then, as I say, there's like not loads of shame. And I, I really, I've worked on it and the work I've done has paid dividends. I don't feel ashamed of my body, but I definitely don't feel comfortable with it. I do wish that I was easily thinner, but I clearly don't want that enough for me to not eat the way that I eat. And actually mostly food causes problems for me, but I love food. I love sharing food with friends. It makes me feel great. It's difficult because it's my favourite thing in the world. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Eating, it? Cooking for someone, eating with someone, it's the most... I don't go out yeah. a huge amount. I actually don't drink very much anymore mm. at all. I've kind of stopped drinking because... Um, I'm not. I don't really like myself when I drink alcohol. I'm not a bad person. No, but I, I'm just. It's not my favourite. Yeah, yeah. It's not my favourite of the Calman Action dolls. Sure. Drunk <laughs> Susan is not my favourite of them. Yeah. But I just remember one of the reasons I love Strictly so much. And I've never said this to anyone. I could eat whatever I wanted. Yes. Yes. I was dancing nine hours a day. I was having fried chicken. Yeah. I was having cake. Yeah. I was having crisps. And encouraged by the. Slim, powerful dancers going, Absolutely. make sure you're eating plenty. Absolutely. Yeah. And I could eat anything I wanted, anything yeah. I wanted, and I was still not only losing weight, but I was getting fitter. It was incredible. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And then it stopped, yeah. and all I wanted to do was eat my own face of because course. I was hungry all the time. Yeah, yeah. But the strange thing for me to combat was, and people mean it as a compliment, you looked so good on Strictly. Yeah. And I know what they mean. They mean, I thought I you looked good on Strictly, and I don't watch it much, but I did see you on it, and I tell you why I thought because you smiled yeah. so much. Yeah. Fuck, you looked like you were having a good time. Yes. I mean, you know, you lost some weight, you gained some weight, uh, whatever, but you looked to me like you were having a really wild adventure. It's a, it's a very, very, it's a, it certainly is. Uh, but I also credit. I emailed my agent about this the other day. I did another show where I was not enjoying it. This is a different show to the one that sent me mm -hmm. back to therapy. Um, and she said, oh, my God, you look so happy. And I was like, depression is great. Yes, yes, yes. Because dep being a depressed person means you can pretend... I deserve a BAFTA every yeah, day yeah, for yeah. my 20s. Yeah. yeah. You can pretend you're having a wonderful time. Yeah, I've done some very good stand-up shows where, honestly, I mean, there was one I was in a really, really bad way. In fact, that was the one when you kind of intervened. Um when I was on tour with that particular show, I could still have one foot on the stage as I walked into the wings and the crash had begun. Like, I swear to you, like, at that point, it was so visceral, the absolute plummet from this state of other, this state of approval, state of, you know, I'm fine, everything's great, into dreadful, dreadful, dreadful despair. So crazy. Um, I just wanted to say, you know, when you're talking about choose quickly, if you're in a restaurant, yeah. an absolute pinch point of painful anxiety to me is table with, it's got to be probably six or more people. Um, waiting staff comes over and says, um, who ordered the chicken? And no one answers. Oh my God. Oh my God, Marcus, you and I could, you and I are the same fucking person. So who ordered the chicken? Who ordered the why is no one paying attention? And the waiter is having to be polite, and I'm literally like, John, the chicken. John, your chicken is here. Have it, John's have it. him. Give it to him, for God's sake. I was out for dinner the other day with some friends. 
Um, it was it was probably chicken. Who's the chicken? And I was looking at her. Mm. Who's the chicken? And I went, it's hers. And yeah. I actually said audibly, and these are very good friends of mine. Fuck's sake, Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> Pay attention, Leslie, your chicken's here. From their point of view, they're having a nice night. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're having a conversation and a glass of wine, like normal people. I am happy when when all the food's here and we can all start. And then I am anxious, then I am happy again when the food arrives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, do you know what? Are you having a pudding or not having a pudding? Exactly. Make oh, your, I don't make know. Your mind up. Maybe I will have a pudding. Oh, I'll have a look at the menu and then I'll see. Shall we have a chat about something? Do you want a pudding? Just do you want? Do you want a pudding? pudding? You know whether you want a pudding or not. Get the pudding. Stop pretending. You know perfectly well. Just choose whether or not you're going to have a pudding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get a get a damn grip. I did a show many years ago, a sketch show, uh, kind of character show thing up here, solo character show, where I had a I had a go at explaining about the noise in a food addicted person's head and it was a I had a talking Muppet style cake you know how the Muppets yeah. used to like you know all their food spoke so I had a Muppet cake who spoke with Jack Nicholson's voice from um, uh, from A Few Good Men mm-hmm. it's kind of had this like a little persuasive but very pleased with itself um, quality to it and it was kind of operated by my hand on a on a hand pump thing and there were nights when I could see the audience like members of the audience being you know that like astonished laugh when you strike on something and other nights when people were looking at me like I mean this may be your own private hell buddy but cakes don't talk to me like that anyway I have an idea for a play based on exactly that thing about um a young woman, late teens, maybe early 20s, at home with her parents, and one of them saying, eat up, and the action stops. And then over the course of the play, it would be uh, basically, you hear the noise in her head. So the play would then be the noise in her head. In fact, the play that I've done, the play that I've got on up here, called The Red, is a, is largely about this stuff. So. The plot of the play is a guy who's been sober for 23 years uh, on the day of his father's funeral goes into his wine cellar with a letter from his dad that says, you should sell all the wine, it's worth a lot of money, it'll bring someone pleasure, you can't drink it because of your sobriety, um, but you know you can buy something nice. And there's one bottle from the year of your birth, it's a 1978 Chateau Lafitte, very special, and I think you should drink it, and I think you'll be fine. And if you don't want to, that's fine too. And I love you. And then the play is about this. It's about that that moment of what the hell do I do with this? And this is a guy very much like me who's been sober all of his adult life, toying with, well, I don't know, maybe I just had a bit of a thing when I was a teenager. Maybe I just went off the fucking rails for a bit. Everybody does. Yeah. And then I said, I'll never drink again. Everyone says, I'll never drink again. No one does it. Versus all of the parts of him that are like, this is my relationship, this is my children, this is my job, this is my sanity, this is everything. And every time he gets near to having a drink, his dad, who's sort of represented through the form of this letter, urges him not to. And every time he is sure he won't have a drink, the dad's going, maybe you can, maybe you'll be all right. But for people listening to this, for whom our conversation has struck a chord, Mm. because I'm sure people... Uh, listening 
may have similar relationships with food. Yeah. Um, I, I have to be rigid about my food. So yes. I actually, I weigh my pasta. Do and you? I weigh, so I, I, I have to, because otherwise I will... Yeah, yeah. I'll eat yeah. it. I'll just eat it. Mm. So I'm a lot more rigid about what I eat. I plan all of my meals for the week. Do you? Yeah. Wow, good for you, So mate. I plan wow. every meal for the week. So I know what I'm eating in association yeah. with my wife. I couldn't do it without her support. Yeah, yeah. And um, we only we eat veggie a lot, and I've yeah. cut down on you know loads of different things. Um, and that's how I do it. Does it bring you that implementing and running that system? Have you got some peace. You're yes. Happy? Yes. Great. If on a Sunday night my fridge is full and I know exactly what I'm having every night, yeah. And I know exactly when I'm, I go to the gym five times a week. Wow, good for you. And I know, so I'm going to the gym and I'm having this, yeah. and I go to the gym and I'm having this. I um, I have peace. Great. Because I... And, and peace without losing pleasure. You're enjoying Absolutely. it. Great. Absolutely. Because so, that's key. Like, yes. there are a million ways of doing this, right? And a whole bunch of them won't bring you peace. What they'll bring you is concentration. And that carries its own rewards, i.e. how we all feel when we begin a new diet and it's working, right? It's not the same as peace. It's exhilaration. She's like, I'm on this. I'm fucking, do I'm doing this. Here we go. That's not peace, right? And there's also peace without pleasure, right? Or at least peace without joy. Joy is probably a better word than pleasure. Pleasure's a bit immediate, I think. Joy is much more whole life mm -hmm. uh, for me. So for me, my system is three meals a day, never eat in between. So I don't snack and I don't let meals run on into a sort of you know, drifty, it's still the meal, but it was actually three hours ago. Yeah. So I eat three meals a day and I don't eat in between and I never skip a meal ever. Um, and basically I don't eat sugar. Right. And I don't eat sugar because it's quite a trigger for me. Uh, it makes a whole bunch of stuff simpler. So I just don't do ice cream. I just don't do cake. And for the most part, I don't do substitutes either, right? So I like naked bars. They don't have sugar in, they have a lot of dates in, so they're very sweet, but I do those, but like, because I don't really eat in between meals, they're rare anyway, that would be pudding if it ever happens. And occasionally I'll do like a sugar-free ice cream. I basically don't even eat honey. Like I just started eating honey three, four years ago and in small quantities. And that, that works for me. That that gives me peace and the ability to be very joyful around food. Yeah. I'm very joyful, I just eat less of it. Yeah, yeah. If, if I had the opportunity, if you made me a large bo uh, pot of mashed potato with butter, I'd just keep going. Yeah, great. I would just yeah. keep on going. Sure. Whereas if I, if I only make a certain amount, then I don't eat it. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, as, yeah. that's it's simpler. As simple yeah. as that. And, and it has helped, I think, because I, I, know, I know what I'm like. And I become very anxious and upset. Mm. And it's funny, my bless her, my wife has to sit through me crying because there's not enough mashed potato. But yeah, she yeah, knows yeah, it's yeah, not about yeah. the mashed potato. No, but there's it's a great thing happening else. there. You know, there's, as, as you explained, you know, your parents, for reasons that make perfect sense, filled your plate, right? And they, they at last had enough food and they were able to give you enough food and nurture you in that way. So that thing there, you know, where you, you're you all full of grief and self-pity about there not being enough mashed potato isn't just a child having a tantrum on the floor. It may be an adult dealing with some some carried through childhood stuff, but it's, a, it's real. Yeah. The shit is real. And I know that there are people 
um, frankly, if they're still listening by this stage, God bless them and well done. <laughs> but there are people for whom this is bollocks. Yes, right. And this makes no sense and it's nonsense and you're greedy wee fuckers and just stop it. Yeah. And if, you know, I can eat what I want and I go to the gym and I'm fine. Look at me. I'm as thin as a rake, you know, and I, some of these people are my dear friends. You know, yes. and it's, it's just different, isn't it? It may sound self-indulgent. I think what we're saying is that the addiction to food or the food issues that we have mm. are the same as any other addictions or manifestations of anxiety and mental Absolutely. health issue. So yeah. I often think I used to smoke deep, I used to mm. smoke a lot. I was self-harming and you were yeah, hurting yeah, yeah, me, but yeah. I still did it. And every time yeah. I smoked, I went, I'm hurting myself good for me yeah yeah and it yeah, was just yeah. it was it was another form of self-harm yes. every time i smoked yeah absolutely and i had to stop that yeah uh, and I mean, there's so much misunderstanding about the functions that chemically addictive stuff play i mean you will get chemically addicted to um alcohol that'll give you withdrawal if you drink a lot and then you stop cocaine um heroin nicotine hugely um but food, porn, gambling, process stuff um, does it, it releases all sorts of things in the brain. But one of the big ones is dopamine. That yeah. resp- that dopamine response, the the prep moment of your brain registering there is feast now. I'm supposed to feast. This is how we have evolved. There is feast. I must eat all the figs from the tree because there may not be another fig tree. That's yep. how we are supposed to be, and that's why we release dopamine into our brains, or at least that's the current scientific understanding. So I'm like, yeah, well, of course that's genuinely, measurably addictive. If your brain hasn't hasn't figured out a path through that, you could argue a more adult, a more sane, a more rational path. I don't care what it looks like. Mine is like this. So that's mm-hmm. what I deal with, mm-hmm. you know? It's okay. It, it carries very occasionally carries some shame for me but it's rare it's mostly like yeah it's just a thing I do you know and also I do I look at some people who go to the gym a lot and I'm a little envious of their bodies because I find their bodies beautiful I look at them and I'm like wow god look at that there's something about that that presses buttons for me whatever condition that that is wherever it's come from I think it's beautiful and I'm a bit envious and then I think, and not all of them, because plenty go to the gym and read as well. And then I think, I've probably, I've probably read more than you this week. I've had more time for it, you know. I've uh, probably spent more time holding my fiancé's hand, which is the thing that just makes me so happy. <laughs> we just hold hands everywhere we go because I yep. like holding hands. God bless it. My 14-year-old daughter will still hold my hand when we walk up the road. And I don't, I don't want to make her because, you know, we're like, she's 14 and it's embarrassing, probably. So we probably are on the last gasps of that. But, oh, that's a wonderful thing. Do you know heartbeats align when you hold hands? Do they? Not totally, because your hearts are doing different things. But as best they can, heartbeats will join mm-hmm. up. So I, I kind of look at stuff like that and I'm like, yeah, how do you distribute your time? You know, I spent some of mine reading books, doing yoga, holding Rachel's hand, you know. Very occasionally, my 16-year-old, nearly 17-year-old son would even hold my hand. That's quite something. I go to the gym because my uh, wife's got an incredibly fast heartbeat and I'd like her to survive. (laughs) I worry about her heart rate. Before we finish, I always like to... The people on the podcast, my guests on the podcast, uh, the the 
final word, whatever you want to say. People listening to this generally have an interest in what we're talking about. Yeah. So what do you want to say to people? I would say, I would say if you're, I would say it doesn't matter if you're anything, if you're already hugely content, I would, I would strongly recommend actively engaging with gratitude uh, and acts of service for others, you know? It really has been a game changer for me. It makes me, it makes me very content in the world. And it gives me courage. It gives me courage to try all sorts of new things that are quite risky. You know, like putting the play on up here. God, this is a waffly ending, isn't it? I was only going for the one thing. It's okay, we'll edit the whole thing out. Sure. <laughs> putting a play on up here is like, because I don't read my reviews for my stand-up work or anything. I haven't for years. I haven't felt the need. I, like, I know whether it's working. They laughed. Yeah. I did my job. But the play's of a different order, and there have been three reviews that have elated me and two that have felt like I got shot and I'm like "Ah, that's bad mental health provision isn't it Mm. that's bad that's just bad self-care because those ones for the people who didn't get that much from the play that's all right like they're okay yeah where's the gratitude I'm grateful that they came and took an interest in my show lucky me you know there are so many people here at this festival who made something and in the flat of their hand are generously offering it to their audience every day going i made this hope you like it you know lucky me i got some reviewers in to have a look at mine and a couple of them thought it was fine yeah you know gratitude and um this is the bit where you get to see where people can find out more about oh, you, yes. Marcus. I only say that because the producer every time gets me to do it <laughs> as a retake. Do you have a do website? Oh, yes, I think I do. Yes. Yeah. MarcusBrigstock. Yeah. Dot yeah, I guess so. Com? Yeah, probably. Why don't you Google Marcus <laughs> Brickstock? <laughs> no, don't, say, no, don't, that'll no, just don't be Google the da- Daily Mail still talking about a divorce from 10 years ago. <laughs> ah, ah. Skip past that, go to my website. I assume it's marcusbrickstock.com or .co.uk. Or .co.uk or yeah. some variant of that. One of those. Always great to have a guest on who's completely aware of uh, what's on the net about them as you started this <laughs> entire conversation. Sure. Yeah, thanks, Marcus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Mrs Brightside. If you like the show, why not subscribe? We're available everywhere you can download podcasts. And if you've already subscribed, why not tell a friend? That's the last of this series of Mrs Brightside. It's been an absolute blast. Hope we get to do it again soon. Susan Kalman's Mrs Brightside is hosted, appropriately enough, by me, Susan Kalman. The producer is Benjamin Sutton and is a BBC Studios production for Acast. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.